Welcome to the UP Tech Talk podcast, coming to you from the Academic Multimedia Studio on the University of Portland campus, produced by Academic Technology Services. Welcome to the UP Tech Talk podcast. This is Ben Kahn, the Academic Technology Specialist and Trainer at the University of Portland, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Maria Erb, who's the Instructional Designer. Hello, Maria. Hi, Ben. We're coming to you from, I don't even know if we call this the Academic <laughs> Multimedia Studio anymore. It's our anymore. podcasting space. No, it's just kind of our podcasting space, just mm-hmm. an empty room. With a lot of sound panels on the wall. With a lot of sound panels on the wall, and it's nice. So apologies for missing a few weeks there while we (laughs) moved things around and kind Mm -hmm. of moved into the summer groove Mm -hmm. for 2016, but I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So Maria, today we're going to try out uh, sort of a new show format. Um, We're going to try to keep these a little tighter and a little more focused, right? Mm -hmm. So um, bear with us as we kind of experiment with this. So what we're going to do is have our first segment be called in the news. And today we picked a story from um, InsideHigherEd.com, and this has to do with uh, Penn State. They've changed their faculty development model for faculty who are going to teach online. And Maria, you just read the article. What are your key takeaways? Well, I think it is definitely a sign of the times. They they put out this training expecting to get a number somewhere around 30 students in the class, and they ended up with over 300. Mm-hmm. And we're surprised by that <clears throat> demand. Well, they shouldn't be surprised by that demand <laughs> because um, I just read the latest statistics from Brian Alexander's Future Trends in Education newsletter, and we're putting out more PhDs than ever, and mm-hmm. the the employment rate for them is around fifty percent. And you know, it's just it's just tough. And that uh, statistic that we just saw in the Penn State article really represents the fact that these new PhDs know that they aren't going to get teaching jobs. Most likely, they're mm-hmm. they're walking the adjunct path, and right. to make a living, they're going to have to be teaching online, probably across two, different institutions, two even. or three different places. That's going to be the reality that they're facing. So, of course, they need this type of training, and, and they a, need skills based training. Yeah, they need and to they know. Need it. Right. They fast. need it fast. That's right. <laughs> and I think that also that, um, you know, what we're developing here with our training, our, pro- our professional development, we're trying to craft that quality instructor in the online realm. And that takes some doing. It mm-hmm. doesn't happen overnight. And I feel like um, this is kind of the antithesis of, of where I where I hoped we would end up, you know, 15 years ago when I started in this field, I hoped we would get to the point where we were really teaching or producing seasoned instructors comfortable with the online medium, kind of knowing the ins and outs of it and, and having them develop over time with mm-hmm. some really good training behind them. But really what we're seeing is, again, this sort of shotgun approach, right. you know, just kind of out of the gate quickly, just throwing people out there through developing courses like overnight um it's just not a reality that i hoped we'd end up in but it's one it is i mean it is a reality but it is a little bit less of a partnership approach and a little bit more of a self-serve kind of approach like we develop the training for you you kind of go through it at your own pace you do most of the work away from our eyes right and away from the guidance of uh, technologists but um 
you know, it's just that modern need for, for flexibility, I think. And it's definitely interesting that, that Penn State, you know, major university is, is moving towards that model. And uh, it's definitely something that we are thinking about and, and rolling out here as well. So Yeah, but I think that the way that we're doing it here, I, I can get behind that a bit more. I feel mm-hmm. like we're going to keep that uh, strong connection with our faculty that we're developing through our training. I mean, we, we've got a stake in that, and we're kind of crafting mm-hmm. um, this, I don't want to say product, but we're sort of crafting this experience for our students because we really want that to be the quality experience that it can be, that we know it can be. And it takes uh, development to get there. And that's Absolutely. that's where we're putting our efforts. All right. Well, we can go ahead and move on now to the topic of the show. So for the topic of the show, we looked at another article, and this was from the Chronicle of Higher Ed. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one was called Dissecting One in parentheses, extremely boring (laughs) college lecture. Right. So this was an interesting one. It was a short video just showing kind of the nightmare scenario that we think about. (laughs) We think about a lecture, right? But not something that's unrealistic, something we've all kind of been there. And it's something you can understand how an instructor or a faculty member would end up in the situation where they're doing that traditional kind of lecture. But things aren't quite clicking for the class. Um, So this gentleman is standing in front of a class of very bored students. Um, He's talking about like AMA lecture formats and the specifications that (laughs) his students need to be hitting for that. He has a PowerPoint with a couple bullets on it. It's all washed out. It's hard to see. And students are kind of sitting around, you know, checking Facebook, buying stuff off Amazon, (laughs) even playing solitaire, which I don't think is even on Windows. (laughs) (laughs) It's sort of a, a... mental image that you get of someone that's just so bored, but they have technology at their disposal. So what are they going to do? Play solitaire. Um, so they had a panel of experts kind of talk about it and just think uh, think about and have a discussion about, do lectures still have a place in the classroom in higher ed? Short answer, yes. <laughs> but, yeah. but you have to think about what you're doing, right? So um, I pulled out a couple of quotes from it. So what they were talking about is actually something that we hear in the department um, from our boss, Sam, all the time, especially in higher ed. Our faculty are uh, subject matter experts, but they haven't necessarily had training in how to be an educator or a teacher, right? Yeah. So we prepare them in the subject matter. They're experts in the content, and they're trying to disseminate that information, which can be very technical and very involved. And what's the best way to do that? It's not always just by going through it point by point and pointing out facts and figures, right? So um, we're talking about just different ways that in the classroom, you know, how do you engage your learners? How do you get them thinking about your subject rather than just absorbing the different uh, facts that you're kind of throwing at them? Right. And of course, we have to think about this um, online a lot more than we do in a face-to-face situation. And that's where all the things that we talk about all the time come into play, you know, like really short, much shorter snippets of information and a lot more interaction. And um, everything that in an online environment is so crucial to Mm -hmm. to retaining attention. But I feel that this uh, article really 
hits on all the stereotypes. We the stereotypes of the typical student being disengaged and the typical professor being sort of monotonous, oblivious. <laughs> yeah, you know. And I feel like you know here at UP we just don't see that very much. We see engaged students and we see really, really wonderful professors. I feel for us maybe our our atmosphere is a little bit. Um, well, it's very unusual. Um, yeah, absolutely. But this article is really pointing out to maybe what's very common in a mm-hmm. lot of other places. But even for our faculty here, a lot of the points again that we, you know, talk about in online are you know still still pretty relevant. I I'm always amazed that our students can and do pay attention for as long as they do. Yeah. I seem to be the one uh, always kind of needing to, <laughs> to bring yeah, needing to move around family, and, you know, <laughs> and and all of that kind of thing. I you know I I've, I take a lot of um, lessons from my fellow classmates mm-hmm. at just being able to pay attention for as long as they do. Well, it's uh, it's tough, and you know I, I think even if the most brilliant professor, you know, if you're teaching something like very fact heavy like math or mm-hmm. something like that or history or whatever, you know, we all have the image of a professor. I don't care how brilliant you are. If you're standing with your back to the class and you're writing equations out on a chalkboard, mm-hmm. students are not getting everything that they could be getting from your class. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, one of the examples in the article, a gentleman was talking about, um, I don't remember, he went to Yale or you know somewhere like a very high-end um, prominent school, very well-known uh, person in the physics or math field. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said for three years he was watching his professors scribble on a chalkboard with their backs turned. And then at one point, one of his professors realized that he had made a mistake, like somewhere a little bit farther down the line. Yeah. And watching him go back and fix his mistake and think through it and actually get a little bit of insight into the like, critical thinking and like how does this subject matter approach thinking about this material rather than just throwing more facts at you. Yeah. That was what really um, clicked for him and triggered him to go on and become a mathematician and stay in that field. So it really goes back to the how are we getting students to think about what we're saying rather than just absorb a bunch of information that's maybe on a PowerPoint slide or is maybe being presented um, through a lecture? Yeah, I mean, it's a two-way process, and it really, the students, what they're bringing to it really play a lot into it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I feel like the engagement level is almost predetermined before you walk into class. What are you bringing into the classroom yourself? And I've, you know, because I work for a number of different places, I've seen a lot of disengaged students, but they're, they're starting with that and mm-hmm. expecting the professor to somehow get them out of their disengagement. That's, that's a tough climb, right. you know, and, and I don't think something we should be expecting our faculty to do necessarily. Um, yeah, so the level of engagement that you're coming in the door with is, is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's something you've got to tweak out yourself. But since we're talking about maximizing the experience for students and faculty, I think that's where we really can jump in with, with some, you know, kind of maybe right. suggestions. And if there area. is going to be technology in the classroom, mm-hmm. you know, why, if it's appropriate to use, why let it just sit there and use <laughs> using all the tools that you have. Yeah, and maybe using them really effectively and mm-hmm. for, the, for the maximum gain that there can be. Um, 
again, in the example that you point out in the article where he's got like the washed out PowerPoints right. that nobody can see or mm-hmm. just like the, the, <laughs> the endless bullet point ones or the ones with so much text on them. Um, you know, I, I, slide design, and we talk about that a lot too. Yeah. And that's that's a, that's a huge area to make inroads in as yeah, well. Yeah, it's something that you may not think about until you see it done really, really well. Yeah. And then you realize maybe that you've seen something not so well. Yeah, well, and yeah. It, it can just kind of click. Yeah, something like that. When we talk about uh, learning and what makes memories stick and mm-hmm. what makes um, definitely having that, you know, vi- strong visual element coupled with a, know, some, some text or some facts or some whatever, you're making that uh, association mentally, you're storing that because you're, something is uh, grabbing your attention. All of those things really aid learning. And of course, that's what we're about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, good discussion on the dissecting a boring college lecture. <laughs> 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 uh, and just some things to think about for food for thought. We're going to wrap up, keep our podcast pretty short today, and mm-hmm. move into our app or uh, our tech pick of the week. So this doesn't have to be an app. It's going to be really any technology that's kind of, you know, enhancing or, or um, touching your life in some way this week. Yeah. So, Maria, take it away with your pick well, of the week. Well, I've got to say, you know, uh, coming back from my bike trip, mm-hmm. where I absolutely relied on my phone so, so, so much, and... I just was, I was wondering, how did anybody do this? That is a great question. I think about that all the time. All the time. How did anybody do this before they had a phone? I mean, just, just between like, how would you even make a reservation, or not even a reservation, but how would you even find out if the campground was open before you got there? There was like no place to even make a phone call. I know. If you didn't have your (laughs) own phone and things changed so quickly. I mean, the one campsite I got to with the tick infestation. Mm Mm-hmm. That would have been nice to, you know, like <laughs> find heads out up about that. Yeah, heads up about that, and all these things that you, that we do from our phones all the time now. Yeah, I mean, know. it's really just the limitless information that's in your pocket all the time. Well, not even that. Just just the survival, you know, things. Well, information that, can be survival. I mean, it is talk survival. The, the take information or right. Where am I going right now? And I, I need, yeah. Maybe I can get directions. Maybe I can find out if a road is closed. Oh, or the bus route. When does it come? What's exactly. the time? You know, all of this stuff. And I was like, I I can briefly remember to when like my parents would go to a um, travel agent, and you know if they were going on a trip or something, or and and you would have your itinerary was completely mapped out for you. Somebody vetted everything in advance. They knew what hotels were good. And they could suggest restaurants for you. They made your flight reservations. All you ever had to do was show up at the airport mm-hmm. and go on your trip. And everything was mapped out for you. And that's how people did things. And right. It's been completely disrupted. By right. The right. So now that, now that yeah. we have to do everything ourselves, we, <laughs> we need the tools that enable us to do that. Because otherwise we – how would – I don't know. I just – that was just like – that was just forefront on my trip the whole time was how did anybody do this you yep. know, 30 years ago? Yeah, I mean, I think I need a PC to work and do things like record. Well, you don't even need it to record a podcast. I've recorded podcasts on my phone. On your phone, yeah. Um, there's definitely apps that are specialized and, and constructed to do specific tasks. That's mm-hmm. another thing about the smartphone kind of era is like, oh, there's an app for whatever it is you need to do. But, yeah, I mean, I need a PC for work. I have a 
enormous iPad here next to me. Like these are all great things, but if I was just like living in my day to day, yeah, I think I could get by with just a phone. Well, yeah, and I mean, I always make a point when I go home of like trying to detach and just mm-hmm. you know like be as uh, as hands in the dirt as I can when I'm home, like in the natural <laughs> elements and things like that. But I was just again on my bike trip just when I was trying to be as untech as possible, you know, living in my tent and, you know, I was pedaling my bike every day and it's like all this kind of thing. And I, I was just like, oh my gosh, without my phone, I would, I'd still probably be there somewhere <laughs> on the coast, unable to get Trying home. to find my way. Yeah. <laughs> Asking <laughs> strangers for directions. And, and rides and yeah. things. And between having a uh, rather challenging sense of direction of my own anyway, I absolutely rely on my phone for directions to yeah. begin with, you know? It can be a little scary when you think about, like, if just the big red button was pushed somehow and all technology <laughs> went away, like, what would we do? Like, I was talking to uh, Sam, our director in our department, and I was just like, I don't think I know how to spell anymore. <laughs> 25 years of spell checking has pretty much ruined my ability to actually spell anything, so... Well, spell anything, fi- again, find your way. I mean, just even walking around San Francisco, I mm-hmm. certainly, I, I mean, I had a street map, but it was almost useless to me. Yeah. You know, I want something that's going to tell me, turn right at the next corner. <laughs> that's going to talk to me and tell me, are you turning right at the next corner? You know? Yeah, yeah. I absolutely rely on that now. And goodness, trying to, trying to find a good Thai restaurant? Well, what, how could I do that without Yelp? I don't know. That would be impossible. I did see a funny article um, just about... Like traffic accidents or people that are get they're lost. walking with their phone. <laughs> well, even driving, like they'll like if the mapping goes wrong and they're directed into an area where they are, it's like remote or they're like not yeah. able to get out. People will not deviate from what their mapping application is telling them to do. Yeah, even if they should be able to look around and know that it's totally wrong. People don't look around anymore. You just yeah. look down. You only have to look into one place. Right. So like. Why would you look around? <laughs> I know it's weird, but... It be, yeah, it's a fine line. It's, it's probably a good idea to take a step back every now and again, like you were saying. Like yeah. I used to, used to be a pizza delivery guy once yep. upon a time a long time ago, before smart, the smartphone era. <laughs> and uh, I think just the ability to like read a map and figure out where you're going is probably pretty valuable. So I think it's usually valuable, and I'm, I'm the first one to, to advocate for these things. I'm mm-hmm. just saying my ability to actually do it is... you know i'd love to be better at it i wish i had a great sense of direction and i wish i could just look around me and know which way to go but man well you know that's the nice thing about the technology aided era is that uh it lets you kind of decide what are the things that you want to focus on and then well you know 99 percent of the time you're fine following your smartphone and going where it tells you to go (laughs) And ending up at the Thai restaurant with the <laughs> most Yelp reviews, life, we're good. life experience. You know, not everything has to be perfect. <laughs> okay, well, um, let's see. For mine, I think I'm going to give a shout-out to OneNote. Mm-hmm. This is an application. I've not traditionally been the most organized person. <laughs> and, um, you know, in the last few years, I've kind of had to mold myself into that a little bit more. So... Um, OneNote's been really great for helping me just capture all my ideas, collaborate with people. Just as an example, we're trying to make the podcast a little bit more um, structured. So I was able to create a notebook and like share it with with you, Maria, um, and put show notes in here and create like a template that we can use to kind of keep on track. And I've even been able to embed a video. Um, you know, we can both add notes to it. We can add links. 
So it's just been really great. I uh, have kind of fallen in love with OneNote over the last couple couple years, and I rely on it completely. It's another thing that if it went away, I would be pretty much not able to remember anything <laughs> of over the last two years. <laughs> I guess the takeaway that we have is that technology better not just suddenly go away. We yeah, do. and I mean, I'm I'm always the skeptic, and I'm always the one that's you know wanting to be as connected to the natural world as possible. But I really get it kind of put back up to me over and over again when mm-hmm. I when I how much I really do need these tools that we have. It's true. Well, I mean, you know, five thousand years ago, if uh, the wheel had suddenly been uninvented, <laughs> we probably or fire or fire. <laughs> yeah, we probably would still be hunting and gathering and whatever. So. You know, technology is good. You just got to take it for what it is and not get too overwhelmed by it, hopefully. Yeah. Okay, Maria. Well, uh, good discussion. Thanks for joining me for this episode of UP Tech Talk, and we will see you next time. That's right, Ben. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the UP Tech Talk podcast. We post new episodes on Friday mornings. If you want to hear more, please subscribe through iTunes or check out the Tech Talk blog at techtalk.up.edu. Mm-hmm.